Hello, and welcome to the Hearn Him Podcast. I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. And when two theologians get married, what you get is a podcast. So I have been staying off of social media and probably just the internet in general outside of what I need for work. So Dale has been my source of news into the outside world the last couple months here. Yeah, I have been getting my hands dirty so that you don't have to. Thank you. I'm so tired. You're so tired? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I guess it makes sense. If you're consuming all of that content, it's probably pretty exhausting. I think that's one of the reasons I've just stayed away. And I also found my time is becoming far more limited and it's just not how I want to spend it. I'd actually rather like stare at a wall (laughs) than than scroll through social media right now. (laughs) Just like a distant gaze into the wall. Yeah. I mean, after Silas is asleep, there I am cleaning up, staring at a wall. (laughs) My life is really exciting. But one of the latest things that you've shared with me is that Biden is now like making these public statements of unity. And I was like, oh, that's that's a good message. But then you were sharing with me, not everyone agrees. That's a good message right now. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely an interesting moment in time right now between right now and the inauguration. I think we knew that was going to happen one way or the other. Yeah, whichever way it went. Regardless of how it ended, uh, we knew this was going to be a pretty interesting time. Yeah. So like as we're recording this, Biden has declared victory in the presidential election. If you are a Trump supporter, you may or may not agree with him having declared victory. There are some open lawsuits. Uh, I think some of those are winding down. So we, we don't know if anything will come of those. My sense is... Probably not. Hmm. I'm not saying that as a partisan statement, just as that's just my sense, just at looking at the situation. But it it appears that uh, Joe Biden will probably be our next president. And he had it was like a victory speech where he was calling for unity and healing. And he even uh, quoted Ecclesiastes for everything. There is a season. And he says, this is America's time to heal This is a time for unity. He said things like, I don't see red states and blue states. I will be the president of the United States. You know, it's time to put our hateful rhetoric aside and come together and be unified. And then there was a series of tweets after that that kind of echoed uh, a similar sentiment. And the responses to that have not been fantastic if you weren't already a Biden supporter. Yeah, but that's how it goes. And that's kind of the conversation you and I had in even discussing what this podcast is going to be on. We're not going to talk politics. That's not where we're going with this podcast. But Even though we are right now at this very second. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But I thought it was so interesting when you were telling me, you know, that he's talking about unity and people are upset about it. And it always seems that the side where the decision is favorable, they are the ones that always want to pitch the unity speech. Yeah, and to be sure, some of the people that are critical of Biden calling for unity are kind of not fair in the things that they're saying about him. Of course not. But there is a very large contingency where I'm like, yeah, you kind of got a point there where the same party that for the past four years has been saying, not my president, and we have to get Trump out of here any way we can, 
the second the election seems to go their way is like, well, we need to come together and stop being so divisive and start healing. And and that's kind of just the way it is. Like now they want to be kind, respectful, well-behaving citizens. Right. Whenever there are two opposing groups, the one that loses any kind of major decision is is always going to try to be a thorn in the side of the one who won. And the side who won is going to be like, come on, guys, can't we just like come together? Don't be a sore loser. <laughs> and that happens every political cycle. And it's just kind of a fact of life that that's the way it is, not only in politics, but in church culture, in work culture, just in life. Well, and in family. I mean, that's a pretty common phrase that my aunt tells the many children running around, guys, can't we all just get along? Like after someone played a game and there was a very clear winner and a very clear loser and, you know, then all the meltdowns begin, it always ends with, guys, can't we just get along? And I think that's exactly what's happening in our nation. But I think this topic is broader than just what we're seeing in, in our nation and in politics. It certainly has space within our relationships, family, workplaces, local communities, churches. So this is actually a pretty big topic of how do we become people that truly want unity, even if we're on the quote-unquote losing side of that argument. Right, yeah, and that's kind of the key word for today is unity. What does it look like to be someone who is is leaning in towards unity, whether you are on the winning side, the side of power, or you are on the side that felt like they lost. And there's a couple of principles that we want to pull into that from uh, just a couple of instances we see in the New Testament where there were issues of disunity and how uh, those are addressed uh, in one situation by the Apostle Paul and another situation by the church at large. But this first principle is, and this sounds really simple, but it's super difficult. You don't have to agree on a particular issue in order to still be unified. And that's a simple, (laughs) simple thing we all know. But that's hard because you think in order to be unified, that means we all need to be on the same page and it means we need to agree on things. But that's not necessarily the case in terms of what we're aiming for in unification within a group of people or a community or a family, it doesn't necessarily mean agreeing on a specific topic. And if you've ever been in a church business meeting, you know what we're talking about. Yes. And so we see a case of this in the book of Philippians, where Paul is actually addressing two leaders within the church in the Church of Philippi specifically, and they're named Euodia and Syneche. And these two women were prominent within the Church of Philippi, and they had served alongside one another. Paul respected both of them equally. But as we read through the book of Philippians, we see there was some kind of a conflict that was happening among them. It doesn't seem that it was of a moral issue. It was probably a perspectives or philosophy issue of how they thought something should be run. But it is interesting what Paul tells them in in terms of how to go about this conflict. And that's seen in Philippians 4, 2 through 7. 
says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syneche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. What's interesting about that passage is that there's like two to four verses that are often quoted outside the context of what's going on here, which is Paul instructing them with regard to what they're disagreeing on. And so we don't know really anything about these women other than this passage right here. They were leaders of some kind, and there was something going on in the church, and we don't exactly know what it was, but again, if you've ever been in a church business meeting, you know that there can be some harsh disagreements on things that are not insignificant, uh, but ultimately aren't, I guess, central to the the mission of the church. That they're, they're important facets like, yeah, I mean, the, the kind of carpeting that we're going to put in is an important thing, or how we're going to spend uh, a particular set of funds. Are we going to spend it on this ministry or that ministry, or what direction are we going to go? These can be important and even like critical strategic decisions, and not everybody always d- agrees on those, and it can be really difficult to move forward. What's interesting about this passage is that Paul doesn't give the answer. Like, he doesn't weigh in and say, well, I heard you guys were disagreeing about this and that. Here's what I would do if I were in that situation with you. He doesn't do any of that. What he does say is, you guys just need to get on the same page as each other. Choose a direction, and then be unified in that. He says, be reasonable with one another. Don't be anxious about the outcome of the decision. We often hear that that verse a lot. Don't be anxious about anything but in everything. Uh, offer up your prayers and supplication. It's with regard to these disagreements, these important leadership directional disagreements that we ought not to be anxious about, but instead to pray about them. And he says if they do that, regardless of what the decision ends up being, that the peace of God will guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And the peace that he's talking about there Whenever we think about like, oh, the peace of God will be with you, we think that means like, oh, I'll have like inner serenity and peace, you know, within myself. But the peace that he's talking about there, it's actually interpersonal in nature. Basically, what he's saying is that by the power of God, you're not going to be at each other's throats anymore. If you choose to be reasonable, if you're not anxious about anything, but you offer it up in prayer, if you're reasonable with one another— that's what the result is going to be. It's going to be actual unity, even though one side isn't going to get exactly what they wanted. That isn't something that we just need to apply within the sphere of leadership uh, within the church or even, you know, as we were talking earlier within the nation. But this is something that we can apply into our lives in the workplace, in our families, um, really in any area that you find yourself 
not agreeing with somebody and you know that in order to move forward, there needs to be some kind of unity developed between you and that other party or that other person. And this is really practical for daily life, especially I think even within marriage. And Dale, I'm sure you are well aware of this, but we're not always in agreement with things. We're not always on the same page of exactly how something should be done. Sometimes we're not even reading the same book. Yeah, sometimes we're not. But at some point we end up deciding, okay, yeah, let's go with your idea or let's go with my idea. And then we we try to fully support one another. I wouldn't say we get it right all the time, but that's certainly what our goal is in the end is to be 100% supportive of that person, even if in the beginning I didn't agree with the way something was going. Right. And if you ever you choose uh, what my plan was and it blows up, you never say I told you so, but like I know in my mind that you told me so. So if ever like we disagreed <laughs> and you chose mine, like I have a real vested interest in it going well. Well, I think I do too, but it, and that but that's part of being supportive is is also not going back to that person or even that leadership group. And telling them, I told you this was going to fail. Because really, were you supportive? Probably not. And really, a lot of times, you don't know what the best decision is going to be until you see it in action. And we could sit here and and argue back and forth for like hours and hours. Oh, what about this? What about that? What if we did this? What if we did that? But it's, it's so much more efficient to actually go do something and then see what happens and then make adjustments to that. And so part of being unified is empowering us in our marriage, empowering you on a leadership team, uh, a, a community, or whatever it might be, to move forward and experiment with what will work and what won't work. You just need to pick a path forward and go towards it without there needing to be such a pressure put on that. Like... If you win or lose, succeed or fail in that, then all of a sudden now you're on the outs because Mm. it, it, Mm -hmm. but if there's kind of this spirit of mutual understanding and unity, well, yeah, maybe we went with your direction instead of my direction, but we both have a vested interest in us all succeeding. And so if we can take that mindset of like, hey, we're just moving forward and we're experimenting and we're seeing what happens and we can alter course if it's not going well. And kind of take that, I guess, competitive edge out of that. That's really, I think, the spirit of what Paul is talking about to these leaders in Philippi. He's like, hey, be reasonable. Don't be anxious. Decide. Move together in unity. Yeah, and with that in mind, knowing that we don't necessarily need to agree in order to step forward in unity, I think it's really important to point out that, on the other hand, unity does have limits. And... Those limits are truth. So there are things that we're not going to compromise for the sake of unity. So if there's something egregious happening, you know, within within your family or within your workplace and you don't want to be the one who is stirring up the waters because you would create division. Well, someone needs to step into that and someone needs to call it out and call it what it is, because when it comes to compromising truth for the sake of unity, that is not the biblical model of unity that we see. Right. So we, we simply cannot, as Christians, unify around falsehood or injustice or anything that's morally wrong. 
and this was an issue in the early church with regard to how Jewish believers were to treat non-Jewish believers. I mean, because when Jesus rose from the dead, all of his followers were Jewish, and it was that way for a while. But then as the church began to expand beyond kind of the borders of Israel and reach non-Jewish believers, there became this question of like, how Jewish do you have to be in order to become a Christian? Do you have to get circumcised? Do you have to follow all of the food laws and stuff like that? So it was this big question. And the the entire church, all the leaders came together and they had this meeting about it. It was called the Jerusalem Council. And you can read about it in Acts chapter 15. And the decision that they came back with, some agreed with it and some did not. But this was the decision that was made that you didn't have to become Jewish in order to become a Christian. And here's what it says in Acts 15 verse 19. This was kind of part of their verdict. It says, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. And so that that was their reasoning. And they they had some guidelines and some things, but said, but this is the decision, and we're going to move forward with that. Because you are saved by grace in Jesus, and not by being circumcised or abiding by Jewish food laws, we are not going to trouble non-Jewish people to have to fit into that mold in order to do that. And that once that decision was made, like it was made such that if you were outside of that, then you were considered out of the club, basically. You were considered outside of Christianity at that point, if that was your stance. Right, because at that point, you would have been forcing new believers to do something that was not biblical. You would have been forcing them to fit into a Jewish mold. And at this point, it becomes very clear that the gospel is for all and the good news is for everyone. And so to build these restrictions and to build these categories around the faith was very counter to the movement of Christianity. So that becomes a really large issue as it's played out. If certain churches are saying you have to be Jewish and certain churches are saying it doesn't matter. Yeah, and this was actually one of many councils that would occur over the next you know few hundred years where there were kind of like this definition of essential doctrines, whether it was the doctrine of the Trinity, that God is three persons in one essence, whether it's who Jesus is, that he is one person who's fully God, but he has two natures. You know, all of these essential aspects of the Christian faith, we're defined and kind of refined in our understanding of them to say, this is what's in, this is what's out. And if you're outside of these decisions, which are the truth— based on scripture, then you're basically outside of the faith. And so we couldn't unify around something that is false. And a lot of those were theological, but I think in our current kind of world, we also need to pay attention to some of the ideological and even moral things that we can and cannot unify behind. And so I think even going back to Trump versus Biden, you know, if President Biden pushes an agenda of abortion rights and being, you know, very pro-abortion. That's not something that we as Christians can unify behind. We can perhaps unify behind other things that he does, but not that. That's something that that we can't really abide by. 
and in the same way, if, if, if Trump espouses you know xenophobic rhetoric, we can't unify behind that as Christians, even if we could unify behind other things that he's done that may be good. And so unity has its limits, and the limits are truth and morality as defined by uh, everything Scripture has commanded us. Yeah, and to kind of bring in another example that's not in relation to necessarily uh, church leadership or our national leadership, I recently had uh, someone that I was talking to who was dealing with something pretty heavy within her family context of some type of abuse that was happening to one of her nieces. And she was just really weighing back and forth with how do I talk about this? How do I confront it? It's not like severe abuse. It's, it's minor, but in the end, if we're really calling it what it is, it is abuse. And I don't want to be the one who steps in and makes a big deal out of something because I don't want to be the one that begins to divide up the family and cause separation among the family. But I think this is one of those issues where I understand we want peace and we want unification, but we have to be willing to stand up for what's morally right and what's acceptable. And obviously the safety of children, no matter what scale that looks like, there's likely a a measure of someone else needing to step into that conversation. And it's, it's not always black and white. It's often pretty gray and nuanced in how you step into these things because we don't want to be the ones who are causing division. But as Christians, it is clear that there are certain things we, we simply cannot compromise on. And we, we have an obligation to step into because truth outweighs our need for unification. So there are definitely hills worth dying on. There are reasons for which we are not only permitted, but obligated to break unity. But those aren't every situation. And I think the discernment required in there is, you know, a balancing act, because some things are obvious, right? Right. Like we, some things we have to obviously step outside the bounds of unity to address something that is wrong. And then there are other things that's obvious, even like it's just a matter of preference. I just need to go along with it for the sake of unity. There's some obvious on that side. But then there's like this whole middle gray area. And I think we can tend to go one of two directions. One is that we think everything requires unity. And so we never want to speak up about anything. We never want to step outside kind of the party line on anything because the most important thing is unity. I think the other side of that where we can get messed up is like you have this mentality that every hill is a hill we're dying on. Mm. And because I feel it's right, then it definitely is right. And I need to convince everybody that it is right. And if you don't agree with me, then I need to part ways with you and I need to, you know, in a sense, cancel you. And so I think I've seen both of those among uh, hmm. believers on each side. There's really no actual unity that's created in that. There's either like this false pretense of unity, but really just serving as a cover for something heinous that's going on. Or there's just no unity because you're always fighting with everybody about everything all the time. Yeah, and we don't want to live in either one of those categories and unification is certainly 
a high priority among Christians, and it should be not only among fellow believers, but in in any way that we can operate in a way of unity within our relationships. I think that should be a high priority. But it's like you said, it's it's a balancing act because I think there's a lot more gray areas than there is very clear, we just need to stand to be unified or very clearly, no, this isn't acceptable and we can't even pretend to be supportive in this way. A lot of our life is lived in the gray. Yeah, and I think we need to develop more respect for the gray. Hmm. I think because we live in a very tribal culture right now, we're depending on what you know echo chamber you're in, whether that's a political echo chamber or whatever it might be. Because we're so tribal, we tend to think in those very black and white, this or that kind of mentality. I think we need to develop more respect for the gray, for the nuance, for like, oh yeah, I can take this piece but not that piece, rather than disregarding the whole thing. Because really that's going to serve in our our best interest. Because nothing's more frustrating than someone on one side having their idea, someone on the other side having their idea, they don't listen to each other, but they just argue their same idea over and over and over again rather than trying to find the truth that lies between. And maybe this is because I'm like an Enneagram 9. Where I, that, that always frustrates me so much that, that we live in such a tribal culture that you're, you're unified and you're loyal in your tribe, but the church is meant to be more than a, than a loose collection of individual tribes. Yeah, and I think a lot of the times we know that we're supposed to be unified because our one common ground is Christ, but that doesn't always mean the other important issues need to be overlooked because there are certainly other conversations and other issues within the church that are high priority. We can't let go of certain important things for the sake of unity. And so there's actually a couple of application points we wanted to touch on to hopefully help bring this <laughs> bring this conversation together a bit and to make it a little bit more uh, grounded in your everyday life. Yeah, and forgive me for going back to the thing that we started with, which was you know, Biden calling for healing and unity in the country and what should be our response to that? Because maybe you're a Trump supporter and you just find that so offensive that he's calling for unity when you don't even accept that he is the president-elect and you have, you know, seen the opposing party being so adversarial towards the candidate that you have put your support behind I mean, how do we how do we respond in the midst of that and then we can kind of take that broader in application uh, but you know with Biden calling for unity I don't know if we as Christians if it's really our place to not necessarily question but to determine the sincerity of his call for unity and healing I think we can take it on its face value 
And maybe you're like, no, we can't take it on its face value. I think even if you are convinced in your heart and in your mind that Biden, when he's calling for unity and for healing, is just being a politician, I think even still the best choice is to still take him at face value, even if you, you feel like you can't. The reason why I think that is actually this passage that comes earlier in Philippians, where Paul is writing from prison, and he's talking about these preachers that are out there, and they're preaching the name of Jesus. And some of them are actually preaching the name of Jesus. They, they were like opportunistic. I guess maybe they were frustrated leaders or they wanted some more influence. But they saw that Paul was in prison, and so they took that as an opportunity to gain their own influence, to gain their own audience and kind of uh, leadership capital in the midst of that. And so they're actually in many ways preaching in pretense, even though they're preaching the name of Jesus. And so this is what Paul has to say about that in Philippians 1, beginning in verse 15, and this is verses 15 through 18. He says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry but others in goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here, and he's talking about in prison, for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but looking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. That's such an interesting take on that situation. Yeah, but when you really think about it, it's true. I'm just Regardless to... of the intention behind someone's heart, there still is the truth that Christ is being proclaimed. And the Holy Spirit is going to use that. It's not like just because the intention of the heart is bad, the Holy Spirit cannot work through it because he can work through all things. And so Paul is, is just trying to say, yeah, even if their heart is bad, like God is still going to use that to still bring somebody to Christ, which is pretty mind blowing because you think, well, no, it, the intention matters and uh, where their heart is matters. And it does, which is true yeah. in in their relationship with the Lord. But that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is not going to work through that. And everyone else who's been hearing that message is completely compromised, even though it was the message of Jesus being preached. I just think about like what that would look like even you know today if you were trying to find a modern example of, you know, kind of exactly what Paul is talking about. And it's interesting that different tribes of Christians will speak so harshly about the preachers from different tribes of Christians. And I wonder if we haven't fully taken this piece of scripture and applied it within the church to not seek to tear down those because we perceive that they have an attitude of pretense, but to actually rejoice in that Christ is proclaimed and wherever Christ is proclaimed, the Holy Spirit can, can be working in the midst of that. And so unity is always a good thing. I feel like we don't, we shouldn't have to say that. (laughs) <laughs> but we do like when when someone you don't like calls for unity unity feels like a bad thing but unity is always a good thing it's always in our collective self-interest to lean towards unity to lean towards healing to lean towards extending an olive branch to someone else even if you think that they're a complete jerk it's in our mutual best interest to be unified and i think 
Jesus is honored in every effort we make to be unified with other people, even if we don't agree with them, even if we don't like them. The caveat being that we're not compromising truth or justice or anything like that. Whether the call for unity or healing is made out of love, like Paul said, or it's made out of pretense, unity and healing are good things, and we should be for them. And it's it's only going to help us. It's only going to be good for us. But I think there's probably a pride blocker that's going to keep us from that. Well, that's what I was going to say. I think there's certainly many, many life situations that I can account for personally where because of some bitterness or pride issue or even honestly just a hardness of my heart towards somebody in a situation that happened that I just can't seem to move past, that it doesn't matter what kind of good measure is going to come out of that relationship. I don't want to have anything to do with it because I'm still dealing with my own pride issues and uh, just hard-headed issues. But we just have to move past that for the sake of unity and for the sake of peace, especially when it comes to family situations. I know quite a few families out there where there's like two of them, a brother and a sister or something that had some feud. And that trickles to the rest of the family. That trickles into all of the other family events because now everyone else is feeling like, do I need to only invite one and not the other? And how do I do all of that? And you're really destroying the lives of so many other people just because you can't get past your own bitterness half the time. Now, it's not always that. Sometimes there are some real issues why you cannot unify with somebody. But I think most of the time, they just have to do with our own pride that we just need to lay down. And that's hard. It's hard to lay down pride. But in the end, we are going to see better relationships and better communities if we can start to lay those things down for the sake of unity. I think too, even in your pride, you can build up your own case for like, no, I'm standing on the moral ground. I can. Oh, certainly. I've done that plenty of times. Yeah. You can create that in the sense of self-righteousness. I think. But you know, you know, in the depths of your heart, because I've done that. I've done that and said, well, no, I was wronged and that's not okay. And here's my list of reasons. And I had plenty of people on my side who agreed with me. But in the end, if I really sat there and thought about it, it wasn't about those things. It really boiled down to my pride that I was then trying to cover in some sort of righteous standing, you know, the ground that I was holding. But really, it wasn't. I was just trying to cover up my pride with something else. Yeah. And so I think, again, it's that balance of I feel like if you're if you're going to like break ties or break unity for the sake of a morality that's almost like we should see that like as the nuclear option hmm. like that's the that's the last resort rather than the first response so i think that we just need to rethink our uh, knee-jerk responses well that even goes back to scripture where it says to live at peace with all insofar as you can like insofar as you're able to insofar like you should exhaust that insofar as mm. <laughs> statement to the end. And there are going to be times where insofar as means you can't. But you need to try and exhaust that measure. And like you said, disunity should be 
this sort of last measure in your relationship because you've tried all of the other things and you it the only outcome is disunity. So we hope that's helpful for you, hopefully encouraging, maybe maybe convicting. Uh, maybe there's some people we need to text or call and say like, hey. I want to live in unity with you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm texting everyone now. Right. <laughs> but um, before we sign off, we wanted to actually invite you back to the podcast next week. Yes, please come back. I mean, and we always want you to come back next week. <laughs> but next week will be special because we have a super secret special announcement about a project that we have been working very hard on this year. We had a productive quarantine and we are excited to share that with you next time. Thanks for listening to the Her and Him podcast. If you enjoyed hanging out with us, consider subscribing to the podcast to receive it automatically each week. We'd also love it if you head over to iTunes to leave us a rating and review. And be sure to come visit us at herandhim.com where you'll find show notes for this episode, our blog, and other resources to help you experience the abundant life that Jesus promised us. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Hello, this is Dr. Doug Grotheis, host of Truth Tribe, where we seek the truth through reason and evidence about what matters most. And we are not tribal since truth is for everyone. Please join me at the Truth Tribe as I discuss the reasons for Christian faith, the Christian worldview, and moral issues such as abortion and gender ideology. To listen now, go to lifeaudio.com or search Truth Tribe on your favorite podcast app.